welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Uh, it was a simpler time. A time when you could get lunch from LB's Big Boy, then go check out comics at Walden Books. Lawn darts could literally be lethal, and the internet cut out when someone picked up the phone. And all the cares in the world went away when Saturday morning cartoons were on. Welcome, adventurers, to episode 103, a special level back episode. This is just Patrick. King Scott here. And Teacher Ryan is here. And a level back episode where we make a point to talk about games of yesteryear. So, so often the hobby is about what's new and what's next, but these episodes give us a chance to kind of talk about some of the older stuff. Specifically, we shoot for games that are at least four years old at this point, sometimes much, much older. Guys, I learned a hard lesson this week. Oh, what was that? (laughs) And we're going to kick off the banter in style. I don't know if you can see. No, that's the wrong one. See on the camera. Yeah, that's, that's my thumb. See all that purple there? Oh, what you can't tell us that, oh, that looks black there. over here, actually. Oh, it was all kinds of lacerated. So there are not many ways in a bank to get hurt, barring barring a robbery. Right. And uh, fortunately, we were not robbed. However, I went to pick up. You, you have to buy and sell cash. Oftentimes, most of the cash is held in a big vault. And if you're running low on some denominations, yeah, I need to buy hundreds in the vault. Custodian goes back, you buy them and whatever. So they're sitting on top of the coin vault. And she's putting away coins. I go to pick up a pack of hundreds off the top just as she's closing the coin vault door. And vault doors at banks are not small doors. They are like cast iron, 100, 200 pounds. And once they get to swinging, they don't stop. Not even for thumbs. Oh, my Lord. I'm telling you what. I didn't want to look at it because I was pretty sure it was going to be dangling. It hurt (laughs) so bad. Fortunately, everything's attached. I think something's chipped because like this was over a week ago and any little tap, it's like it's numb. It is super numb. But uh, hard lesson learned this week. It's uh, it's it's still there. Everything's moving. My thumb. (laughs) I can still challenge you to a thumb war. Oh, well, yeah. you'll probably lose. <laughs> you'll probably lose. I'll probably sneak in a little snake bite in there and like just make you howl. <laughs> Ryan, welcome. Oh, it's good to have you on the episode with us. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, your your bank vault story you had me thinking because I used to work at the Federal Reserve mm-hmm. and those have the gigantic vaults as well. There were stories of the fact that like they used to hold all the gold bars back in those vaults. Everyone that went in there to take care of them had to wear like steel boots just in case they dropped a bar on their a bar. Oh yeah. man. That means it happened somewhere and they're like, you know what? We can prevent this from happening in the future. This is uncanny because <laughs> there was a time that I did the same thing, but it was really crazy because I was working one day. There was this guy that was running around through the reserve and there was this large, like Asian fellow that had this bowler hat that he was throwing at him for some reason. And it was just, absolutely weird that we all have these bank type of stories like this. <laughs> I was so did you guys ever get a, uh, an appendage smushed or smashed? Well, I've, I've had one almost removed, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. You know what? Let's, let's talk some gaming. Let's start with the banter as we usually do. Uh, you know, I'll lead it off because we got a really cool review. You know what guys, we've, 
We spent a lot of money on Sarah McLaughlin to do that. Uh, please rate us on iTunes commercial. That's, She's uh, lovely. When we say we don't make any money with this podcast and it only costs us money, so that was a big expense. Scott forwarded a lot for that, so thank you, Scott. Uh, now we got a uh, we got an iTunes review from Adventurer Jackson. First of all, kudos for calling yourself Adventurer Jackson. He says this podcast has become a quick favorite. I love the genuine conversation about board games instead of just pushing the latest hotness. These guys know what they like, and they aren't afraid to talk about it. Sometimes I'm afraid to talk about it. I love the 8-bit theme and the extra effort put into transition music between topics. Very professional. I hope to meet these guys at a convention one day. Adventure Jackson, I have no idea where you're from, but I hope to meet you at a convention someday too. That's uh, Thank you so much for that feedback. We appreciate it. Yes, that, that, was very that awesome is you. Thank really you. super cool. Thank you so much, Jackson. Scott, I see you've got some Dune things listed here. Go figure. Scott's keeping yeah. tabs on Dune. What you got? Okay, so I'm I'm really uh, somewhat perplexed by this. There is a new Dune game coming out, Dune Imperium Uprising. Now, then, this mm. one here can play up to six players, and you can play in teams, which is interesting. But then the last part of it is the Dune Imperium expansions that you have already work with this new Dune Imperium Uprising, which is a standalone game spin-off from Dune Imperium, so you can use everything you have from your original one onto this one. So Interesting. I'm a little perplexed if I need to buy a whole new set of Dune, or if I can just buy the board and the I rules. Mean, I do not know. I For a while there, I thought it was just an expansion as well, until you just brought that up. I have... So I don't know why they would call themselves Dune Imperium and then Dune Imperium Uprising. It makes it sound like an expansion. So that's really going to mess with people's minds, I'm sure. Now, I like the idea there. You can play it in teams now. So that's kind of an interesting little twist with it. So I'm all in for that. But the idea that you can use all of your stuff that you have already and just put it on this new board, I hope that there are options out there that I don't have to buy like all the the markers and all the pieces and everything else for basically the same game, but just with an extra player. I'm excited either way. I mean, I'm thrilled to death that it's coming out. I mean, any more Dune Imperium, I am tickle pink. <laughs> yeah, and it's a weird look. I, I won't go into it. It's really <laughs> cool that it's coming out. I'm very, very excited about this. You know, my guess is going to be that you're going to be able to use all the stuff that you already have. They wouldn't they wouldn't want to put it out and force you to have to rebuy things. I'm guessing it's like, okay, you got your Dune box, you got your Immortality, your Rise of X, and you could just crack this open. It's basically just a different base game, different worker placement spots, different actions, maybe different base game cards, and you can play it on its own, or you can incorporate this expansion stuff. I'm excited to, to find out more. I want to see what's going on with, the, with this Dune Uprising. That sounds kind of cool. Yeah, so I'm, maybe I'm sure kind of with this too. If you... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. I'm sure uh, it might have... be something similar. <laughs> <laughs> we are on the same page. I'm telling you. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's going to be kind of like Concordia Venus did with Concordia, where Concordia Venus added a, a board. It also added team play and solo play, but it had like pretty much the same components. It just added a few things like cards that allowed for team play or interaction to happen. Mm -hmm. So who knows? This is a standalone. So maybe they made it such a way that you could do it as a standalone team play, or maybe it's incorporated with the base game. I have no idea. This sounds... It, it sounds like it more Dune, which, I mean, I'm going to be in for anyway. So. Yep, I'm yeah. in. 
it's due out for 2023, so I'm sure we'll see something or hear something at least at PAX. Now, this isn't the only Dune stuff that's coming out. Dune Imperium is coming to Steam. Yeah. <laughs> so that's oh, heck be yeah. very, very cool to have a chance to play it whenever you don't have a bunch of people around and you can just pop on your computer and play it. So that will be a lot of fun being able to quickly go through all the little uh, nitpicks and adding up the number of soldiers you have, all those little things Mm -hmm. there that, yeah, I mean, you can do it, but having a computer do it for you. (laughs) Yeah, certainly. I'll take that. We're playing first day, right? Oh, I see. So I don't, I don't see why not. Harkonnens for the win. I'm getting you. Oh, what you got? Whatever. (laughs) so in case you guys were not aware of this pat and scott there was a a very small town low profile convention that happened somewhere in the high hills of indiana recently that somehow got into the news because they were packed to the brim and had the quote highest attendance they ever had even though it was like i don't know seventy thousand people i was Uh, just what nine thousand in like 2019 didn't they yeah. Maybe it's the uh, now it's, individual people. 70,000 people, apparently. Okay. I know none of us were there, but apparently everyone in town was. Uh, but one thing I read about is that there was like this giant herd of cattle that were led inside this thing. And all of a sudden, a stampede of these cattle, AKA people, happened. <laughs> <laughs> they just stomped through the doors as soon as they opened because they were going after some cards with Disney characters on it. And y'all yeah. hear about this? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Apparently, Lorcana uh, was uh, given out in a, uh, quite a few amounts uh, every day at Gen Con, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I'm talking about. Gen Con, 70,000 people made it there. But yeah, there was just a huge, huge, massive line that was made that eventually turned into just a herd or a giant group. It re- really made a lot of people upset. Those people that were waiting in the back of the line, people just skipped the line and started making a mob towards the front. And that was like mm-hmm. the first day or two. But as soon as the doors opened, there was pushing, shoving, you know, people with like disabilities or wheelchairs or anything of those were let in the front. But like some people were just going over those. Unfortunately, it was just a lot of hectic uh, nonsense going on with that. And I, I've heard all the stories. I saw all the videos of it. And there was just so many upset people about this whole thing just because of Lorcana. And, you know, it kind of makes me sad. Uh, I was kind of happy that I didn't go there in some cases, but in some, I really wish I was there to check everything out. One thing I wanted to cut in on was I remember Thursday night, I believe it was, I saw a tweet that came out or an X or whatever the hell it's called now. Oh, yeah. That at Ravensburger stand, you could start getting in line at 6 p.m on thursday night the night before in line until 10 a.m the next morning (laughs) wow (laughs) dude there is nothing well i shouldn't say that but i tell you one thing that's not going to get me to stand around for 16 hours for the hopes of giving someone my money is some is some cards it's going to be available on like amazon in two weeks Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, and to think some people must have gotten in line at like four in the morning and they're back a ways and they're like, okay, whatever, I'm doing what's right. And then the doors open and, and people just stampede in anyway. And, and oh yeah, no, I'd be I would be pissed. I'd be like, you know what, if you're gonna make a line that new rule, if you're gonna make a line, make it a line, put like put people watching the line and put those little things that you see at movie theaters, you know, those like ropes, like rope off the line so that people can't just go storm in the front. Mm. 
Oh that's no! What, I, that's what they did for the final days. By lines the way, they, me. good, good. They, they realized the issue and the mistake, and they started doing that. Uh, according to a friend of mine who actually went, uh, they started doing that. Uh, in fact, starting Friday, like mid mid or early morning, somewhere in good, there. good, yeah. Mm. Well, there was a little bit more drama going on at Gen Con. You guys hear about three hundred thousand dollars worth of cards got stolen, stolen by game oh. designers. I heard. That's oh, the rumor. Ooh, yeah. I didn't hear that yeah, no. part. Oh, no. Scott, I saw this headline. I was like, oh, man, Lorcana is that hot. People are stealing it. But it wasn't Lorcana. It wasn't Lorcana. It was from Pastimes Games, which I know from my Magic the Gathering days. They're, they're magic cards. $300,000 oh, worth wow. of stolen. Now, they have pictures, right? They got pictures of these two cronies yes. wheeling it. They they basically they got one of those big carts like you get at Lowe's or Home Depot for like yep. lumber. Yeah, they had one of those things, and they just like no masks, no nothing. They had on their badges. They just walked up up to it, took the cart, and started loading things on it, and just nonchalantly walked on out. You know, it's <laughs> it's all on camera. That's the problem. But like, that's the perfect disguise is just act natural. You know, we're going to fit right in. And unfortunately, they're all over camera, so they've been identified as T.J. Dunbar and Andrew Guillaume Guillaume, whatever. But they are. There. Apparently, they're game designers. They have this game called Castle Assault, a legendary card battle, which, man, that is about to get dragged through the mud on the Ooh, ratings boy. on account of this uh, this, this theft. Thievery. Who knows? Who knows? It might have helped the ratings. <laughs> uh, besides, <laughs> also, by the way, they managed to identify them not only just because of their faces, but the fact that one of them was wearing that Castle Assault shirt. <laughs> oh, for <laughs> God's sake. You know, there's... <laughs> You can't fix stupid. Well, they haven't found them yet. Uh, you know what? I, I feel like if Pastimes puts out like a, you know, turn them in, we'll give you a mox. You know, give me a magic card. I'll, I'll start looking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me take the floor for uh, what I got. Uh, Pirates of Maracaibo is a standalone game in the same franchise as the popular game Maracaibo. This is the, uh, the Fister game from 2019. Jason was all about this one, showed us oh, yes. a half dozen times. I got the app for it. I've played it on there. You know what? I, I haven't played it much on the app because it had been like a year since Jason taught us. And I opened the app and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And <laughs> I just didn't have the patience to sit and click and learn it. But players who are familiar with Maracaibo will recognize some beloved concepts from the original. However, new players can jump right in with no prior knowledge of the original game. As Pirates of Maracaibo is an independent game with a more accessible rule set. The game plays over three rounds. Sail the Caribbean, hire crew, ally with other ships, explore the shore, amass the most treasure, and retire. Geez, how much can you do? And retire to a secluded <laughs> island as the most revered pirate in history. Cast off sailors and swashbucklers. Cast off. Looks like it's going to be an Essen release. Uh, an Essen release. Oh, that's good. That means I uh, probably get to see some of that as, at uh, PAX as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm hoping. And you know what? I we don't have to buy this one because I'm pretty sure Jason's going to be all over it. Oh yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it because I I love Maracaibo. That's probably my favorite Fister right now. It's right there on my shelf in the top shelf, which is where I put the things that I like the most. Yeah, I, I like that one too. There's there's a lot of strategic paths you can take, and that to me is usually something that I look for in a game. I like that very much. So yeah, it the ability to well. I think we'll talk about it a little bit more later on, but the ability to have multiple paths to choose your own adventure, that's a great way of doing it. All right. So, uh, yeah, I think we've had enough banter here. We talked about the Pirates of Gen Con and the Pirates of Maracaibo. So I think it's time to pay some bills here and uh, let's hear some commercials, Patrick. It's a mess. 
This is Matchbox Lightning. These lightning-fast racers are not only the fastest Matchbox ever made. Next! They may be the fastest cars ever made. Next! Their unique suspension system makes them move like lightning and burn the competition. Next! Matchbox Lightning. Can anything beat it? Matchbox Lightning Racers. Get them now because they'll be moving fast. Lightning tracks have sold separately. So you guys fans of Matchbox cars? Did you? I mean, I'm sure we all had them growing up, but like, are either of you junkies? You still play around with the cars? Well, I mean, I have a four-year-old son who enjoys Hot Wheels. Uh, I don't know about the Matchbox cars, but we definitely had like many sets of Hot Wheels that I managed to get. And uh, we put them together this past weekend to try some I just thought they were the same thing. Oh, I don't know. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, he, he knows and he is desperate to tell us why. Please enlighten, yes. So matchbox cars were definitely molded more after actual realistic cars, where mm-hmm. Hot Wheels went a little more fanciful with their designs. That That's it? That's pretty yeah. much about it, yeah. Oh, oh well, okay. okay. The you use them for, uh, no. Well, what's the but game? I you play Gaslands? Uh, what's that? You play Gaslands, right? Don't you use cars for Gaslands? I was just going to get into that. <laughs> Thunder stolen. Tell us about it. (laughs) Well, growing up, I was never really a big fan of cars. So I had an aunt who would buy me toys and everything growing up. And she always felt that she had to buy my cousin the same thing. He loved cars. So anytime she bought him Hot Wheels, she would buy me the same thing. And I'm like, oh, yay. But yes, as you said and stole my thunder, there is uh, the game Gaslines that you go out and you buy these old cars. Now, I'd gotten rid of mine years and years ago, but the beautiful part of this is you can go to Goodwill and get a, a Ziploc bag of 20 of them for five bucks. And yeah. they're already banged up. You stick on a couple of things that look like machine guns. Boom, you're ready for Gaslines all for 20 bucks. And I think the rule book is like 12 bucks and boom, you're done. You can download even all the templates and everything else you need off the internet. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. A friend of mine has to teach me this game. He's promised to do so for a while, but uh, we haven't gotten around to it. But like, I have the perfect car for when that happens. Some of you might know I'm a huge fan of like the Fantastic Four. So I got the Fantastic Car, basically the bath boat. (laughs) And I'm going to be using that whenever we do Gaslands. Oh my goodness. I don't know if I still have them. There was a time... Maybe early 80s, late 70s, they had special Marvel edition cars that they had out. I remember there was like a uh, Incredible Hulk minivan. There was a Thor van. There was Captain America Trans Am, all these kind of things. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, having a fantastic car. That's awesome. It would have been great if Thor's car was a Hummer instead of a hammer. Call it Neil here. <laughs> true, true. You know what's kind of fun about finding these old commercials to play is that like I got to click through like early nineties or eighties toys and like I saw one. It was the the Hot Wheels. It was a car wash, right? And it has real streaming jets of water. And like maybe that's the one I just played. And at the end, you spin it and it spins dry. And I was like, that looks familiar. <laughs> I forgot that I had that toy. <laughs> Very nice. Well, now that we've paid our sponsors, now we can get into our recent plays. Patrick, do you want to start us off here? Oh, sure. Oh, well, I I was going to give you the floor being the guest, but I will take it. I'm going to go back to 1989, a game designed by Stephen Baker, published by Milton Bradley in conjunction with Games Workshop, which for many people, that's the dead giveaway. The year was 1990. No internet, 
not even a computer in our home, and the phone was attached to the wall with a cord. The fantasy theme at that time didn't seem like an overused trope. There weren't hundreds of excellent video games with stunning graphics. We didn't have the high quality fantasy movies that put us in the boots of dwarves like we do now. High fantasy still felt fresh, and the thought of playing a game as a barbarian, an elf, a dwarf, or a wizard made my young brain explode. Enter Hero Quest. The giant box it was, the amazing art on the front, and the entire world within to be discovered. Guys, what made Hero Quest stand out were a few things. You got minis, right? Minis for all the figures, furniture, items. You could put them all in the dungeon. Mega, mega toy factor. This game was customizable. We spent so much time with garbage like Trouble and Sorry, you know, kids' games, basically, that like to play this thing and discover the back of the rule book where it gives blank maps and instructions for how to make your own dungeon crawl. That's still cool to this day. And oh, and how about this? It's got a campaign in the box. Not that our young selves ever actually followed through with it, but hey, it's a factor. That's cool. Then as years went by, video games took over and our copy of Hero Quest somehow got splattered around the house like William Wallace around England. <laughs> it, nothing. I'm proud yeah. of that one. Oh, I, I, I got a giggle. <laughs> yep. Well, at least according to my knowledge, which is based entirely off the movie Braveheart and no actual reading or study. Find a goblin in with a bucket of Legos or random HeroQuest furniture in with the Matchbox cars. Sure, why not? Uh, Eventually, it would become a fond memory as the dungeon crawl game with the realistic furniture. Now, as you guys know, and many adventurers know, HeroQuest was redone, re-implemented, remade like the Sword of the King of Gondor by Hasbro using their personal crowdfunding outlet, Hasbro Pulse. So I promptly hit up my other dealer, Nikki, shh, don't tell Tiny Fred, to borrow her copy and stroll down Nostalgia Lane. So the gameplay of HeroQuest, I'm not going to get too deep in this because I gather many have probably played it. It's a dungeon master, a DM versus one to four players. And typically a game takes about an hour to an hour and a half. DM thumbs through the book, finds a scenario that they want to play, and it's going to give a blueprint of all the rooms that are in the dungeon. You got a board with a whole bunch of like squares on it and rooms that are comprised of these squares. And that's where your character is going to move around. And this scenario book basically says, okay, in this room, you'll put a weapons rack. There's a trap over here and it spawns, you know, three skeletons, that sort of thing. Movement's really simple for the players. They just roll a D6. Combat, really simple. Roll a D6. Heroes complete the objective. They win. They all die. They lose. It's that simple. So this is a game that gets a lot of love. And and why is that? So a few things are going to stand out. One, the dungeon is revealed as you go. So like you open a door and surprise, here's what's in there. Like there's neat discoveries behind every door. The game hits you with that like, oh, that wow factor of seeing new things. New items can be found, purchased between games to upgrade your characters. You have a character progression. You get to find legendary stuff. That's cool. And the gameplay is really, and I mean really easy. Kids can play this. I got it when I was six, right? So what's not to love? Easy gameplay, unfortunately, means that it's this game as written, as by the rulebook, it lacks depth, right? You're not going to have any really tough decisions to make. And even when you do, it often depends on the random luck from a D6, Oftentimes, the game just boils down to open the door, kill the baddies, search the room, do it again, wash, rinse, repeat. Mm. But this kind of leads into what's good. All right. Hero Quest isn't just it's, it's not the Hero Quest, the game. It's Hero Quest game system. It's a system. The gameplay that's written isn't exciting. And you, dear adventurer, you're a hobby gamer. Hero Quest isn't as good as dungeon crawlers that we have today. But 
the box of stuff that you get, the basic rules within, that's the paint, the canvas, and maybe even the inspiration. Hero Quest as a game system gives a creative DM all of the tools that they need to make for some really neat scenarios for the players. Base game, for example. Let's say you've got a, a dozen spells in that box for the wizard. There's no reason you can't come up with more, even writing them down or making your own little cards. The weapon and armor shop in the original box, it's literally a picture on the, the box insert with maybe three options for like each type of armor. Each like You can get this bow or that bow. You can get the axe, the sword, or the broadsword. Broadsword. <laughs> Thank you. There's no reason you can't embellish that. Customize it. You know, Type up your own list of things. Make, you know what I mean? Make it your own Add town phases between scenarios with your players. Add special rules for a dungeon. Get a little role play going on. This is a game that I feel like it's meant to be tinkered with in that way. Now, the new version from Hasbro, what's different? Honestly, just aesthetics. They did some updated art. They did some new sculpts. But the gameplay is basically the same. When they announced, there were a lot of people that were like, wait a minute, they can't just put out the same game. It's not very good. You know, they got to give it some, some new rules, new stuff. No, they kept it the same. The better news, three years into the game's resurrection, they're still supporting it with new quests and new character packs. There's one now going up for pre-order. It's not even out yet. I think it's the Monk. Heck, there's tons of custom dungeons, characters, campaigns, all available online, even on Board Game Geek that you can like, okay, I need some ideas. We need a new adventure to do. You can find it on the Geek. You're not just referring to your own brain in the rule book. Basically, you can take this easy approach to a dungeon crawl. You can go as deep as you want with it and add so much of your own personal touch to every detail. Now, you want to buy it to play with one uh, like a one-off adventure here and there with your gaming group. You're probably going to get bored. Uh, remember, base rules, it's, I find, repetitive and ultimately not very exciting. The draw is the ability to customize the game. I'm so glad I borrowed this from Nikki. Uh, I'm scheduling with Mike and Brendan. We're going to get back into it next weekend. Oh, Hero Quest. I'm sure you guys have both played. Another thing about this uh, this game is it, it, what came out was probably one of the best YouTube videos about a game I have ever seen. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's this uh, uh, YouTube channel uh, by Bardic Broadcasts, and uh, he has a video called The Best Thing About Hero Quest Is. <laughs> and I love his <laughs> gravity land. Like, whenever you get there, you'll see what I mean. It's Oh, great. yeah. Oh, that's um, the best thing about Hero Quest. Oh, yes. So, yes, my wife and I actually played this game. In fact, we played the entire first campaign of the original hero quest board oh. uh we now i will tell you if you are looking for people to play with you this is an incredibly easy game to do via zoom mm, it really okay. is because you can just have the person say hey, move my character up three squares all, all they would need pretty much is a, a set of d6 which they can just customize the faces of and mm -hmm. one of the character hero sheets and that's all they need in order to play Hero Quest on Zoom. Of course, there needs to be one person to have like a camera showing down on the board, but that's what we did. And it was pretty simple for us to do that. We just moved their characters, we cast the spells, and we took care of everything else for them. It was very, very simple to do that. I do have one qualm with Hero Quest, and it is the, something that you spoke about it, but didn't get into more detail about it. But it's the fact that the first maybe two quests, maybe even three quests are a little difficult because you're all the stats of all of the enemies stay the same and all of the stats of your hero stays the same the only thing that changes is the armor that you wear or the weapon that you wear and that just adds d6 or makes it harder for them to hit you mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty much the only change as far as hero quests characters are concerned so like all of the quests 
are the same thing as far as like the same stats for all of the monsters, same stats for you. So as soon as like you go through the first through third scenarios, you start developing and getting the money in order to buy all this equipment. And as soon as you're equipped out, there's almost nothing stopping you. We managed to get through the last couple of scenarios lightning fast because it was quite simple. And it was there's really nothing good. left to purchase. It's like, well, we're all decked out with the best stuff that you can buy. Pretty much. And we're for it. So again, customize, make it your own, you know, add things to it. So yeah, so we did something along the lines of there, by the way, in the original game, in the back, I don't know if it's the same for the re-implementation or redo of it, but in the back of the campaign book, there was a couple blanks pages where you can make your own map. And so Mm -hmm. we did one of those and uh, we even have the original uh, original prints of like the Kellar's Keep expansion and the Mage expansion. It's quite nice. Um, we're going to jump into that eventually, but yeah, it was it was quite nice, quite pretty simple over Zoom. I actually never played it. Uh, oh, did really? Not have it, and it was always one of those ones that I really wanted to get, but never got around to getting it. So no, I have never actually played it. I mean, I played things similar to it, but yeah, nope, never played it. Well, huh. why don't you tell us about one that you have played? <laughs> well. Getting later in the year, it's getting closer to that time of fighting, of the chess-like maneuvers of the captains in charge of their troops. They're slowly looking over and scouting forward and making sure that they have the right thing in the right place at the right time to be successful. And of course, that means I'm talking about football season. Yes, so I got a chance to try out. Pizza box football from 2005. Now, I got this years, probably in 2005, and I've had it laying around here, and I never really got it out to play or anything. So earlier this week, I pulled it out, and I took a look at it, and oh, my God, I am having so much fun with this. So basically what it is, you have your two teams. You have a pizza box in front of you with pizza box football written on it. You open up the pizza box, and then you lay the football field inside of the pizza box. And boom, (laughs) there you go. You've got your playing surface to play on. You've got a ton of dice. You've got little markers to mark down how far you're going, uh, how many timeouts you have. What will happen is each time you will roll, the offense will roll three black dice. You'll take a look at those numbers, go down through the charts. There are charts aplenty in this game. And you figure out, okay, I'm going to do a short pass. I rolled a 12. Okay, I gain two white dice worth of yardage. So you roll those. Hey, I got eight yards. That's pretty good. Oh, but wait, did we tell you there's defense? Yes, there's defense. So the defense rolls some dice. They figure out if they chose the right thing for a run, a short pass, or a long pass. If they did, God help you, because it's going to be bad for you. If they didn't, (laughs) then, hey, guess what? They have exploding dice in this, where if you hit a six, guess what? You're going to roll that again. And unlike other games, when you do that, it's like, oh, right, you just roll it once. No! You roll a six again, you're going to roll that die again. Nice. So you could possibly run out an 80-yard run-back touchdown if you wanted to. There's That's mishaps. how they incorporate There's it. pressure, defense effect rules. There are kickoff rules, onside kick rules. There are charts for everything in this. So it really does get, for some people, tedious with all the charts that you have to go over. There was another game called First and Goal. Mm-hmm. 
where you got dice and you had a deck of cards with the different plays on it. And the dice, you put the different stickers on them and it would reflect how different teams would play. I absolutely adore that game as well. That game is very simple, very entry-level enjoyment. This one here takes it up another couple notches here because you really have to figure out the charts and everything else that you're doing here because it's easy, but if you're not a football fan, you are going to be bored senseless playing. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm just going to be completely honest. Outside of being a football fan, there's no reason for you to play this game. Uh, It sounds horrible whenever I say that. But if you are a football fan, you are going to enjoy this. It's a lot of fun. I really always enjoy watching football and getting into the strategy of watching the coaches figure out, all right, we did this, we did this, let's do this. We know this person here is not going to be that fast. Let's go over here and do this. Just all the little things that go on in the background of everything, of every play of a football game. I just find it so absolutely amazing. And this really kind of gets it. I mean, you really get into that feel of what am I going to play? Now, granted, you have the luck of the dice, but then you have the luck of whether or not your wide receiver is going to catch the ball. Is he right, gonna, right. Oh, what's the defensive player going to do? you got all these what ifs that can happen no matter what. But pizza box football hits that spot of a really strong football game a lot of strategy behind it, a lot of the behind the scenes and everything of it. They have downloadable things for free for different ways to play the game. You can even get 32 teams and each one of the teams have different plays depending on how they play and an update every year. They still keep it updated uh, on their website. So it's really a great game. I don't know the price off the top of my head. It, it wasn't that much whenever I got it to begin with, but if you have a football fan in your life, this would be a fun one to get them, definitely, because it's for one to two players, so you can easily play this game solo and still get the enjoyment out of it. So you can play the game and eat it too. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and the great thing about it is it's an unused pizza box too. <gasps> no grease. No, you don't have that like greasy thing underneath there. Whenever you look at it and you think, oh God, that was a good night of really shitty pizza. No, <laughs> oh, you know what though? Those little tables that they have in there, if you turn it upside down, you can use it to set the ball before you do a kick. You know, I didn't realize until I was like 30 when somebody taught me those little tables that are in there. That's like to keep the box from like in case there's any pressure on the top of the box. It doesn't like hit the cheese and ruin your pizza. I didn't know that. Yeah, Yeah. I feel I feel like most people know that. And well, Ryan, case in point, you didn't know. it. I didn't know it till like, I don't know, a couple years ago. (laughs) I mean, my my sister used to use it as Barbie tables for like outside stuff. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. That's a little free Barbie table. You know what, guys? I love, 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 love football. I love football season. I love watching the games. The games go a little bit long for my liking. You know, it's hard to to sit. Well, no, it's not even the length of the game. It's There's too many commercials. I can't stand sitting there being advertised to for three and a half hours. But I love the game. I'm always baffled. There's You would think like, okay, we're board gamers, right? We're nerds. Odds are we weren't like jocks in high school. We didn't play sports. We, you know, you always hear like the board game types are like, oh, sports ball, almost poking fun at like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, we're above. But 
to me, it's like they're one and the same. There's so much strategy. Scott, as you were saying, like the, the play calling, the decision making, it's like this is a board game where people are the pieces, you know, moving by inches, plays are set. It's like it's like a gigantic worker placement game. I absolutely oh, love yeah. to watch football, love to, to toss it around. To, interesting. I'll have to give this one a try. You know, bring the, Bring this to the shop sometime. Oh, I most certainly will. And I'll bring first and goal as well. I have Ooh. probably 10 teams for that there. So that, that oh, one's a nice. great time there as well. Do they use real teams? No, no, no. They don't use oh. real teams. But the great thing about it is, you know, this one's more into passing. This one has more of a defense. This one's known for their running game. So they adapt things a little bit for each kind of team. So you can rename them whatever you want to. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's like, oh, this is definitely based on the Bears. So this is going to be the Bears now. These are these are both great football games. Uh, first and roll and pizza box football. Perfect time to get these out and start playing them. All right. On Wednesday, May 24th, Paramount Pictures invites you to have the adventure of your life. Dad! Dad! Keeping up with the Joneses. Are you crazy? Don't go between them! Harrison Ford, Sean Connery. You call this archaeology? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, rated PG-13. Starts Wednesday, May 24th at theaters everywhere. You know, I, I I don't think I would consider myself a true fan of Indiana Jones, but I've never had any issues with any of the movies, except for, you know, I haven't seen the last one yet. But this is by far my favorite of the Indiana Jones. There's always these scenes that you'll never forget, like the whole, like, hearing that the blades are going to come. And so like you duck underneath of it and like roll past the other one. I remember those scenes like to a T. Oh dude, no doubt. Last crusade hands down best Indiana Jones movie. And it's not even close. Well, I mean, speaking of bringing out a game that you haven't played in quite some time, I'll talk about one if you don't mind. Oh, I know. I know. (laughs) I'm looking at this and Oh, it brings back memories. Well, a little preface to this. Uh, so I'm someone who likes to keep his big, bad shelf of games nice and tight. I try to only keep the best of the best on that bad boy. So every so often, maybe every like three or four months, I like to rank my board games. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, if I really like a game better than like the lowest rank game on my shelf, then that game pops off the shelf and I'll add that new one in. And, you know, I got to have some discipline and I could really also, you know, use some of this money back that I'm spending on games. So that's what I do. Now hear that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so I'm going through a ranking engine thing that they have on a, a site called Pub Meeple. Uh, that's a lot of places where if you see the people with their like top nine in it, like a three by three Brady Bunch square, that's usually where they do it. Anyway, how it works is you plug in all the games. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. It's a three by three grid, but you made it a point to call it a three by three Brady Budge square. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. You know, this is the uh, this is a, a, a level back. So, you know, I got to I got to bring okay, back. The nice tie stuff. it. Nice. Yeah, thank you. We'll allow it. <laughs> um, how it works. You plug in the games you want to rank and then you click start ranking and they'll give you two games at a time and you have to choose which one you'd prefer to play. I keep doing this many times. Like, for example, I had 102 games that I had to rank and it told me that I had estimated 378 comparison choices that I would have to make before the algorithm itself determined like my rank for them from like Good 1 Lord. to 100. Okay. Yeah. So, as I'm doing this, I kept on running into Near and Far, which is a 2017 release by Round Lockett. Every single time it comes up, it seems like I take the longest time looking at that and trying to compare because honestly, I hadn't played it 
much. Uh, I do know I liked it, but I hadn't played it in around like two years. So I removed it from the list and I decided that after the rankings, I'll pull it from the shelf and I'll play it and then I'll just add it to the rankings somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I open it up, looking at it, and then something takes over me and I just set it up, learned it, and I started deciding that I'm just going to do the campaign. Why not? It's <laughs> 10 games, 10 games in a row. Uh, it uses a different map each time. So I managed to finish the entire campaign of 10 games in two days. <laughs> I, oh, played, wow. I played four on Sunday and then like another six on Monday after that. So I had all 10 games done in two days. And guys, I was tired after that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember why I liked it. So the game is pretty much a spiral notebook that if you open it up, it's a big spiral notebook. It's a big, like a 12 by 12 pages and you open it up and this is this giant map, which has all sorts, all sorts of locations on it. Uh, some of them have like a little storybook icon where you put storybooks based on how many people are playing. And whenever you move your character to that spot in the storybook, someone on your right reads a page for you from that excerpt and you have a choice just like in Above and Blow, which is still my favorite Ryan Lapp game spoilers you chose something and you get rewards based on how well you do mm-hmm. so that happens you get stuff uh, for the most part it is a storybook game it really is however it is more of a resource management kind of game so okay. like you're mostly getting resources from the land uh, you're going back to the stores and you're getting all sorts of uh, items that you can purchase from I also played the campaign with all of the expansions. So I had Amber Mines in there, which had the witch's magic spells in there. I had all of the promotional tiles from like, you know, Dice Tower character tiles, Rodney and Pep Smith character tiles, Secret Cabal character tiles. Um, I, I got those. Every single one of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scott, we need to get ourselves some promo tiles or cards and games. <laughs> yeah. Just call on me. I, if I really like a game, I deluxify it and I get everything for it. No, no, um, no. I mean, we need to reach out to publishers and be like, we need you to make a King Scott card. Oh, there you go. Oh, mm. for sure. I could see that in many games. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're just going around getting these resources and like uh, using those resources to buy these all-powerful cards, which gives you points towards the end. After everyone lays down their all their camp tiles, which they can either be done in the mines to get you stuff, uh, on the board to get you money or gems, and those gems and money are used to buy things, or when you co- uh, complete a story... It could potentially do something along the lines for you, or you can fight monsters and put tents on them to con- to say that you have defeated them, et cetera, et cetera. But once you finish putting all 14 camps out, then that is the end of the game. And whoever has the most points from everything that they purchased and all the monsters that defeated and everything that they've done wins. Now, how the campaign works is after every game, you give everyone their individual score. Mm-hmm. And after all 10 games, you will have 10 scores add them all together and whoever has the most wins the campaign. My campaign was like 660 something points against like 620 something. Oh, points. So goodness. it was rather close. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, I remembered why I liked it. I'm glad I finished it, but I think I'm going to put it away for a few more years or maybe hand it off to somebody else to, you know, play the campaign as well. Cause I think I've done everything for near and far. Now you said that you've played above and below and, and you thoroughly enjoyed that one. Uh, there's a third one in this series. Uh, and it's called in Now and or out. Never. Mm-hmm. What was that, Scott? In and out. In, <laughs> up and down. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> now or never. Have you played it? I have. I have played, uh, I want to say every Ryan Locker game that has been made so far. Oh my goodness. Comparable? Mm-hmm. Like it? Is it? Did, did it expand upon the game or is it uh, just the same thing, different setting? It is a completely different game. It is definitely a lot more Euro-y. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you do have a character on the map in Now or Never, but you're going around and you are fighting monsters of escalating difficulties. Uh, when you make it to places, you can draw cards and you can have like quest cards, item cards, and like the quest cards are what you really want to go for because that gives you points. But uh, all this while, you are building your own personal town, uh, which is also kind of a four by four grid um, and you're also populating the town with the people that you get or uh, rescue uh, out in the world uh, as you're going around and they are developing things for you and they're escalating and give you different points for how many people are there and the buildings that you build are different and they give you points based on like these kinds of buildings that are surrounding it or these kinds of buildings in this row or if if there are four different people in this specific sector, you get certain number of points and also ongoing abilities. But there's a lot more Euro-y things happening as far as Nor Never is concerned. And there's just basically, again, resource manipulation or management in Near and Far. Sounds like Near and Far is getting a good recommendation from you. I do recommend it. I really do. Uh, I got faster and faster as I realized that it's it's pretty simple to complete a game uh, in a quick amount of time. But uh, it definitely took me quite a few plays. And hey, that only happened in one day. So, <laughs> <laughs> damn it! I I was all set to do something here and let lead into it, and there he has to go grandstanding and playing his horn again. Okay, now, you, know what, you know what, Scott? Leave him alone, okay? Oh, what hold did he that, do to you? Hold that thought. You've got a transition you're proud of. So everyone just think of what uh, we were just talking about near and far. We're going to – the the trumpeter speaks. we got to do the top 100, and then we're going to go right back to you, Scott. You give us the awkwardly timed and now out of everyone's mind transition. Prime movers, guys. Frost is up two to number 67. Obsession up two to number 87. Yes. Falling stars. Seven wonders down two to 89. And the crew quest for planet nine is down a couple of spots to 61 no debuts in the top 100 no changes in the top 10 new highest peaks games are higher than they've ever been frost haven at 67 beyond the sun at 85 obsession at 87 the search for planet x at number 92 happy birthdays we've got el granda or el grande or el grand el grandy el grande as well <laughs> 22, years. 22 years that one is guys and the oldest game in the top 100 crokinole 22 years don't forget use that level five promo code at brown castle games get five percent off the very best quality crokinole boards and supplies on the market without a doubt all right scott let's hear your transition <laughs> <laughs> all right all right all right uh, shut up shut up let me have my moment here. Yeah. Now, since we've been just speaking about near and far, why don't we talk about railroads that take us near and far? How about oh. we talk about Russian railroads? Oh. God, I hate that trumpeter. Designed by Helmut Ole and Lunny Orkler, published in 2013 by Z-Man Games, Russian Railroads is a rail-building game for one to four players. In the game, each player will be upgrading their rail systems on three different tracks, building more powerful locomotives, and enhancing their infrastructure via factories. The game plays for a couple rounds more than the number of players, and at the end of the final round, the player with the most points is the winner. So at Level Up, as you know, we try not to make our walkthroughs boring. So we try to give you like a brief description of just what's happening in the game. Usually this means some details are left out, and in the case of Russian Railroads, there's going to be a bit left out. 
The central board of the game is basically a menu of worker placement spots, and to understand them, let's first talk about each player board. Your player board shows three different rail lines, Trans-Siberian, Kiev, and St. Petersburg. Basically, these are just a number of spaces along which you can move rail pieces. Under your board, you have your industrialization track, where you move pieces along yet another track. Throughout the game, you'll be placing factory pieces along this track, giving you an ability when your marker hits that space. Now, the primary goal of the game is to move rails as far along as the three tracks on your main board as possible, as well as to advance your industrialization track as far as possible, though it's unlikely that you're going to be able to do everything in the span of the game. Grab six workers and a coin, and you're ready for play. Now, the main board is where I said you're going to find those worker placement spots. What exactly do they do? Primarily, you can place workers in the rail building sections to advance your white rail piece along any of the three rail tracks on your personal board. As it reaches various points, it's going to unlock your green rail, and then your red, etc. The relevance of the different rail colors is simply that they score more points for advancing them further down the tracks. The more difficult to unlock the rail color, the more points it scores. Another big concept in this game is the locomotive tokens. Well, locomotive on one side, factory on the other. I already mentioned that the factories are for the industrialization track, but what's up with locomotives? Well, on the three rail tracks on your player board, there's various spaces that are going to unlock something. A big power, more point scoring, a bonus token. But these spaces don't just require the rail token to have reached them. Often, spaces on these tracks also require that you have locomotives that can reach them. And this is actually quite simple. There's a worker placement area on the main board where players can acquire locomotive tokens. They have numbers on them, progressing from 2 to 9, and when you get them, you take the smallest number available, you put it to the left of any of your three tracks. Ta-da! That's how far down the track your locomotive can reach. Ideally, far enough that it unlocks something represented on the track. So far, so good? Other spaces include moving the industrialization marker, taking the turn order, gaining coin, which is basically another worker which you lose when you use it, or gaining an engineer. Put simply, engineers, they're like personal worker placement spots that only you can use moving forward. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out a couple of game changers in Russian railroads. First, the engineers I just mentioned, they vary from game to game in the order that they come out, and that's one of the only ways to really differentiate your abilities from other players. Second, one of the bonuses that you can unlock on your tracks is to use a bonus token. You see, each player starts the game with the same nine to choose from, and when they unlock one, they pick which one to use. Seems simple, but it is a major part of the game because these tokens are extremely powerful. They're strategy-shaping abilities that offer a ton of rewards. At the end of each round, players are going to calculate the points they score based on where their rails have reached on each of the three railway tracks, plus they'll score for how far along they've gone down the industrialization track. At the end of the final round, the player with the high score wins the game. So, building railways, getting locomotives down the tracks, chaining actions together for some mega turns. Let's get back to the table. Let's find out if this previously top 100 game still has steam. Uh, oh, jeez, sorry about that. Well, that's neither here nor there. Russian Railroads is what we're talking about. As you know, we like to do our review games in an 8-bit breakdown where we look at eight facets of the game, beginning with art and components and finishing with was it fun and who's it for. Gentlemen, bit number one, the art and components. This one's pretty basic as far as pieces in the box go. Now, 
little little peek behind the curtain. A lot of our plays were on BGA. I have never seen this on the table. I've just looked at pictures and whatnot. So my my speak of the components, I don't know if that cardboard is flimsy as heck. It looks fine, but it looks like just cardboard cardboard and meeples. But actually, I uh, own a copy of Ultimate Railroads. And I mean, truth be told, yes, for the most part, it is cardboard cards and some components like wooden components. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you see a game like Russian Railroads and you open the box, if you've never seen the game before, the whole like, for example, like the main board, you don't expect that from a train game or yeah, a game you're about expecting trains. a bunch of hexes. Yeah. Uh, in this game, though, it's literally just worker placement spots with pretty good iconography on them. And then the player boards are three tracks. <laughs> uh, well, that's if you're playing Russian Railroads, which is what uh, specifically we're talking about. But the other versions of this game uh, in Ultimate Railroads have uh, slightly different alterations. But yeah, for the most part, the components are quite nice, especially if you get the uh, Ultimate Railroads. You have the wooden rails, the multi-different colors the colors are very bright and vibrant for the most part you're right though it is very very good looking art for what it is but it is for the most part as far as components is concerned cardboard and wooden components yeah i have to agree the artwork it doesn't really pop in this game it reminds me a little bit of beyond the sun in that it's kind of like a tech tree you have the three lines that you're trying to build on Mm -hmm. And which one do you want to build on? Do you want to go for points? Do you want to go for expansions? Do you want to go for multipliers? It's functional. Right. It's a functional looking board. But that was it for me, though. You know what I'll give to art and components is while there isn't much artwork in this game, what it does have to rely on being a, a mechanism forward game, it has to rely on iconography and the iconography, the iconography is very good. Uh, the differentiating of the rails, the coins, the factories, it's all easy. It all assists in playing yeah. what is, you know, not an overly complicated game, but it's not like immersive. You're not going to feel like you're swinging the the mallet at the rails or anything like that. It's it's a game first, you know. It's a mechanism game that you're interacting with. So the most important thing is that the icons work. They you know they don't get in the way of your play. You know, what? I'm starting to dabble into theme and immersion. So let's go right to bit number two: theme and immersion. Scott. All right, theme and immersion. Um not much here either for me like you said i don't feel like a railroad baron wearing my top hat and smoking a cigar sitting on the back of my train going yeah that's how we're gonna lay the rail across the country no i feel like a 52 year old man placing wooden pieces on a board um that's (laughs) that's about it but once again it's not one of those things where it's really a downfall it's kind of weird it does sound boring but there's a lot more to it. So, okay. but still, if you just look at this part of it, theme and immersion, it's not there for me. I don't know. I'm just busy trying to math it out in my head, thinking what's going to be the most ultimate move for me to make here. And that's about it, to be honest. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there. This is definitely not one of those games that is meant to immerse you in its theme at all. It's, it's, Russian railroads, you're supposed to be out there building tracks and making your trains go to other cities. But in essence, what you're doing is you're just placing a track and then maybe upgrading it and then placing more rails to overlay the older rails. And you're just trying to meet certain quotas. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to try to have a train reach a certain distance and you're supposed to have something there in order to get points. And so like nothing in there makes me feel like I'm building a railroad track through Russia or doing anything 
uh, you're not even doing anything with the train. You're just building the track, really. Like <laughs> that's that's, that's it's that's not even it. a train game. It's a it's well, a tracks they game. They didn't it's lie with the um the, the title. I mean, it's Ultimate Railroads. It's not Ultimate Trains and Railroads. So I mean, you got that. Yeah, but you also have factories, which I don't understand either. <laughs> so it sounds like the theme and immersion, that's a bit of a weaker point for us. You got three main tracks. There's a work placement board. And beyond that, you really got to use your imagination. Uh, the locomotives, they get more powerful as, as they're upgraded throughout the game. But they're essentially the same image. And the focal point on each of those little tiles is the number that's on them. There's engineers which offer an asymmetric worker placement spot. And they even have a picture. But really, in function, it's put my worker on here and do what it says. You're not looking at the art. They don't even have a name. You're looking at what does this do when I put my worker here. Now, you are unlocking better rail types and you're improving your scoring on all three of those rail tracks, each with their own name for that matter, like one's Kiev or Moscow or whatever. But make no mistake, it's a mechanism game, period. Complexity. Ryan. As far as the complexity is concerned, like, I mean, the rules are pretty simple. Once you get the iconography down, you're good. So I think the complexity of the game comes with, you know, rerouting yourself after an opponent takes a spot and does something that prohibits you from being able to do anything that you were trying to do. So that's the complex part of the game there. The complexity is where I think for me, the game starts to shine. It's rather complex game as in the decisions you make earlier tremendously affect the later game. Do you want to rush out and get more productive tracks? Do you want cards to assist your gameplay? There's a lot there to do. It's not really a good introductory game. This isn't one of those game things that you want to take. Okay, this is not in-law approved. Yeah, I'll no, just put it out. Definitely not. It gets more complex as you go along with the decisions you have to make. Whenever you're first starting out, it's easy. Boom, boom, boom. Just do the first three turns. Then it starts getting a little bit more complex with the decisions you have to make. That's where I sit with the complexity. What about you, Patrick? You know, I steered clear of this game for quite a while because I was worried about how complex it was going to be. And it's just not overly co- – it, it was much easier than I thought it was going to be. You know, I hear railroads and, you know – the BGA has it like a 3.4 or something like or 3.8. I think it's starting to get up there around the fours. And that's where you start to get into like through the ages, you know, some, some much more complex games. I was like, Oh, I don't know if I got that in me, dude, the bulk of the game is work placements and the spots are all intuitive. You do have to factor in that some of the spots take more than one worker. And in a two player game, you have those little cover ups. So, like, this spot's yep. not available in two player. That's not that tough. End of round scoring, Ryan, you touched on it. That does require a bit of math. And I mean, a good bit of math. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, like, playing on Board Game Arena, it not only does all the math for you, but it even tells you how many points you are currently due to score at the end of the round. So it makes it ridiculously easy to calculate. Complexity on the table, though, mm, don't be afraid. You know, it's not a light game, but it is not super heavy either. Guys, let's talk rulebook and learning curve. Ryan, I think you're going to be our rulebook guy. (laughs) Nope. This time, I actually didn't read a rulebook, so uh, I can't necessarily comment on that. (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) We are the worst podcast. (laughs) I I did have to, you know, browse a rule book just to, you know, get the setup when I actually got my physical copy. And from what it looked like, I 
it didn't it seems like everything that you needed is in there and it's it's in like a nice format it looks like it just talks about the player boards and then it talks about how to advance your track and it seems pretty straightforward so um you know it, it i i think that makes learning the game it come fairly simple now learning curve on the other hand that's that's where this game shines it's for me it's the kind of game where learning how to play isn't that tough but learning how to play will uh to, how to play well it is. I, I think maybe the most profound element at play here is discovery. And I mean, at face value, it's just a good old worker placement game. But when you're on your third play, your 10th play, your 20th play, and you're still finding synergies and little ways to like trigger things and have these mega turns, new ways to score big points in the contained system that is the game. I find that really, really exciting. Learning curve to play, you're going to know how to play after a game. How to play well, takes some time. And you're still finding things along the way. What do you think about the curve, Scott? Uh, I I agree with both of you, really, um, in that once you get past the iconography and what you need to do, that's where the the biggest part of the, the difficulty to play this game is. But it is then getting into how you do it. Uh, learning curve, really, it's it's really quite simple. It's... It's sad that it is ranked so high, but then still it's kind of good because it's still this kind of like hidden gem that no one wants to like approach to play. Wait, do you mean ranked so high as in the complexity? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, that people don't want to approach it. But then once you do, it's like, oh, this isn't that bad at all. And you, you found out this new little gem that you can play now. So yeah, the learning curve, very, very simple. Bit number five is the meat. I'm going to take it right back to you, Scott. Where's the meat in Russian railroads? Decisions, decisions, decisions. Mm. Uh, Do you rush off for the more lucrative tracks? Do you purchase locomotives? Oh, wait, then there are the engineers. What order do you complete this? The meat of the game for me is the entire turn structure. Without this, you really do not have the game. They have balanced the decision-making so well that every decision you make is the perfect decision until the next player takes the turn and you realize your decision sucked. (laughs) So it's, it really is the decision-making process because you have so many options. It's paring them down to what's the best decision for you at that point in time there. So that that's definitely the meat of the game for me. I think I talked about this a bit earlier, but the meat of the game is the fact that you have to reroute yourself or change your plans if all the spots that you need are taken by your opponents. I mean, this is an aggressive worker placement game. There's like one spot to do the one thing and there's no way to counteract that. You just have to go and do something else or find a way around it. And like learning how to do that is definitely uh, something that is really, really meaty. Well, guys, I was saying in the learning curve that there's a lot of discovery in here, and I'm going to use that for the the meat of the game, right? Ryan, you've mentioned uh, when we were learning, you're like, oh, so guys, you can usually do like one and a half, maybe two tracks. Mm -hmm. And we'll say that there's four. Really, there's three tracks, but the fourth one being the factories where you're moving that little purple marker down. We'll call that a track two. So there's four tracks you're trying to move up. I think a lot of the meat of the game, the more I play it, and I'm up to 20, 25 plays of this game so far, I think... I started with that original concept of, okay, I can max out two tracks. And now to me, the meat of the game is finding out how do I max out three tracks or all of them? There are a ton of strategies you can pursue. Take that triple white rail movement, 
That Take that spot first thing each turn. You can go that strategy. Hit the coin spot first thing each turn, the double coins. That's a strategy. Take the player order when available. If you're doing one and the other person doesn't shark the player order, you take that spot so that you go do it again next turn. Hit up engineers, score them at the end of the game and get those asymmetric abilities. You can play the factory track and you can combo up factories to do to get you extra movements and whatnot. It's finding, okay, if I do this factory, when I hit that point, then I get to move this rail. It's a game about triggering actions, right? The biggest factor are those points where you get to pick one of those nine bonus tokens because those things are extraordinarily powerful and they are strategy shapers. One gives you an extra factory advancement marker. Holy crap. You're playing a totally different game than everyone else. One gives you an extra worker that moves the white rail fast. You got an extra dude and you get to move the white rail more efficiently. The other one gives you a nine power locomotive straight up. These are game breakers and everybody picks unique and different ones. Whenever you go with that card, for example, the one that lets you draw a card, that's, that's the one that's differentiated from player to player. This is a game where when we play on BGA, it says what you've done each turn. And most turns, it's like three things. You know, Patrick is, Patman is placing a guy here. Patman moves his white rail three times. Patman ends his turn, right? There are turns, monumental turns, where A triggers, B triggers, C, all the way down to X, Y, and Z. And you got like a paragraph at the top of the screen outlying everything that you did. And it's so satisfying. That to me is the meat of Russian railroads. Mm, meat, carnivore, saliva. Um, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> Replayability and variability is bit number six. Who wants it? I'll take it. There's not much in a way of variability other than the order in which the engineers would come out. Yeah, mm-hmm. but replayability for me is off the charts because, like you just said, there there are so many different strategies to mm-hmm. go through, and I'm one that I will lose fifty games. I don't care. I'm going to go out and I'm going to just see what each one does. If I do horrible, I do horrible. Who cares? I just want to go in and see what happens and see how things affect things. And then you'll use that in a later game and get better and get better and get better. You want to discover what everything does there. And that's that's the way I approach games, really. Well, it's a closed system, uh, meaning the only thing that's going to be introduced that's different game to game is, as Scott said, the engineers and the order at which they show up. So that is that's the main differentiator from one game to the next. Other than that, it's it's static. Everything's the same. What's going to keep you coming back are those engineers, of course, and those bonus tokens, because the first one you pick, you're going to you're going to have that in your strategy much longer. There are nine bonus tokens. That's nine different plays. And I can couple it with something different whenever I get a second bonus token. So pick number one and pick number two is nine times eight, which, geez, no one can do that kind of math. If there's that many <laughs> plays just in the first two bonus tokens, never mind the engineers and what the other people are doing. It is a finite system. There's almost no luck in the game. Uh, there's no dice rolling. There's no like randomness. Everything's in front of you. So it wouldn't strike me as a game that's going to be totally replayable. It's not The game doesn't have many variables, and yet it is very, very replayable. I agree with you, Scott. What do you think, Ryan? So I think I'm on a different level than you guys, because while the game, as we already discussed, is not necessarily variable, really. It's just, you know, what your opponents do and what you do um, and choosing which routes that you want to take. I also don't necessarily think it is replayable as far as, like, the game is concerned. So, like, you still have the same boards. You still will likely choose your own 
you know, path to victory that you found works for you. Like, as soon as you do that, um, and you have tried other options, I don't necessarily think that you're going to change your strategy if you found one that works. Um, however, I do think that it is replayable in a different way. I think it's replayable in the fact that your opponents, like what they decide to do, they are the ones that are probably going to change how you play. So, like, I don't want to necessarily play the same opponent over and over again because maybe they do find uh, a, a route that they want to take that helps them win. And so they're going to do the same things and you are just gonna do whatever they don't you know and and that's you're just gonna play that same game over and over with them and there's gonna be no necessarily any replayability as far as that's concerned like you you're gonna want to try to do something different uh, every time you play that way you know the game stays fresh however if you play different opponents that do like different strategies then that means that's gonna force you to do different strategies too and I think that's where the replayability can come in is when you play multiple different opponents or it's one of those things where if you normally have to play the same opponent over and over again uh, play with them a couple of times and then put like put the brakes on the on the track on the railroads uh, on the game itself and you know just put it away not play it for a couple months and then like get back to it so you know it comes back kind of fresh and you have to like think about the strategy over again and that's where i think that is that being said i think i kind of found a somewhat of a downside to this game uh and so like you know why not why not just go to bit number seven the downsides let's let's go for that no, I, I agree with you. You need those palate cleanser games that I talk about in between this. But mine is that it's not really a pretty game. You may look at it and the artwork or lack thereof. Lack thereof, yep. yep. Turn you off. Also, if you get left behind early, it can be a little tough catching up. My biggest turnoff really is myself second guessing everything that I do. <laughs> That's one of those reasons why I enjoy playing it once in a while, but I'm not to the point of fanaticism of playing it over and over and over and sure, over. Sure, sure. Scott, I reiterated some of what you just said in that uh, it doesn't really have a catch-up mechanism. If you're falling behind and you don't have a long-term, very cohesive strategy, you're not going to get that big die roll or that card flop. Like There isn't any luck that's going to bring you back in front. You're going to lose. Minimal player action, aside from your standard worker placement factor of like, someone took my spot. Oh, Drat. Uh, and then you couple that with those mega turns that I talked about. I can see where like in a four player game, if two or three people after your turn get their mega turn, you're going to be sitting there for a little bit. I can see where you could uh, come up with some downtime in the latter portions of the game in a multiplayer game. That said, was it fun? And who's it for? I'm going to take the floor because I think you can tell I really like this one. I think it's totally fun. Not in the hoot and holler kind of way. There's not a lot of tension at the table. There's no politicking or giant battles, hidden roles. It's head down. It's calculative, which for me, that does put it in the fun column. Sometimes that's what I want. You're going to have to plan things a turn or two in advance. You probably need to have a backup plan just in case you get blocked, like you were saying, Ryan. And it takes some brain power, which I like. Who's it for? It's not a family game. It's probably not going to appeal to casual gamers. This is for a serious group that meets up to work their brains over. Think games like uh, Great Western Trail, Kalis, Trajan, serious games that require thinking, quiet games. If that sounds appealing, and I know for some of you out there, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm in. I think you're going to like it. Ryan? 
Was it fun? It was definitely fun for me. It's one of those games that I will want to play uh, quite often, but, you know, after, you know, some breaks or with multiple different people. So this is definitely my kind of game. There's a, quite a few different paths to choosing, like, what you want to do to get points. And this is a point salad game, which I'm all about. So this is definitely fun for me specifically. I'm not sure how fun it's going to be for a lot of other people. Um, but if I had to choose who's it for, I would say those strategic mathematical kind of people. This is a game about like grinding points and trying to get as many points in progression for each round so that you score a higher and higher amount each time a round ends. So it, it's kind of like another game that I, I, would, uh, I was talking about before a long time ago called Bunny Kingdom, where uh, at the end of every round is just cumulative points. Points are just going to increase for you. So if you manage to get a big lead near the beginning, like in round one, if you get like 20 points more than your opponents, and then round two, you're at 40 points more than your opponents, then that means that by the end of round two, you're 60 points already ahead of your opponents. Um, that's definitely not necessarily going to happen in Russian Railroads, but it's for those kind of people who like to find those like little point grabs that you can get and just keep on building up your score. And so it's like kind of a mathematical kind of equation, kind of deduction, kind of, you know, you know, those kind of games. And I, I definitely love those. So that's definitely uh, my thoughts. And how about you, Scott? What do you think? Well, it's kind of funny because I think we all kind of wrote down the same exact thing. Yeah. <laughs> I did have fun with it, but this is for someone who wants to number crunch, math out all the opportunities. Yes, there are opportunities as in everyone has the same chance to make the same decision, but it's all based on how quickly you do it compared to the other players. It is fun. It gives you that stoic Euro feel that you want from a game at times, but it's not one of those feel good, happy kind of games. It's just one that you're sitting there. You almost feel like you're doing homework, uh, adding everything up there. So, I mean, if you're in the mood for doing homework, this is the game for you. There we go. That's <laughs> Let's put our money line. where our mouth is. <laughs> Let's put some money where our mouths are. Ryan, you own a copy. You keeping your copy? Choo-choo, my dude. Of course I'm keeping it. Scott, you don't own a copy. Are you interested in buying one? No. Okay. I don't own a copy. I think for the right price, I would buy it. I think MSRP is like 100 If I could find it at like 65 70 maybe a used copy, I'd be interested in getting one. But for now, it's on BGA. I'm content to just play it there. And play it there we shall. There you go. Russian Railroads. Let's level back, guys. In the dystopic 1930s, the Industrial Revolution pushed the exploitation of fossil-based resources to the limit. And now the only thing powerful enough to quench the thirst for power of the massive machines and of the unstoppable engineering process is the unlimited hydroelectric energy provided by the rivers. One year ago today, we had the opportunity to review Barrage, who was taught to us by our dear teacher, Ryan, joining us today. Guys, one year later, it's no secret. I love Barrage. I put it in my top 10 games of all time. So I'm just going to keep my mouth basically shut for the rest of this. Ryan, a little update on Barrage. You weren't with us that episode. Uh, tell us, you know, why, why do people want to play this one? I mean, it's because Barrage is the best Euro that you play if you also want to have player interaction. 
that is probably my best response to this. So a lot of Euros is just either, I mean, I, I like point salad Euros, that's just me. So player solitaire doesn't necessarily, you know, affect me as much as some other people. However, if you want a point salad kind of Euro where there's a ton, a ton of player interaction, then Barrage is probably the number one answer that I will say. You know what? Not probably. It is going to be the number one answer I say is going to be Barrage. You're fighting your opponents on where to place your people so that you can get the resources. But, you know, if you take that from someone else, then they have to do something else. And maybe they'll just build a building in a spot that you want. And maybe someone else wanted to do that. And so instead, that person is going to steal the water and they're going to run their factories. There's just so much like take that uh it's 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 a brutal game don't get me wrong it's not for the faint of heart but if again if you're one of those people that likes those kind of games and just you know wanted a lot more player interaction in a euro type uh, style game then barrage is the answer for you end of quote scott it is a great game there. Uh, it's one that you have tons of selections to make. It really lays things out. It really gives you an interesting strategy to play with. If I never play this game again, I will be perfectly fine because it is awfully take that. And it's like, I'm, that's not really fun for me as far as I, having entertainment. So, yeah, Barrage uh, does not hold any sort of joy. I mean, going with uh, Marie Kondo, does this spark joy? No, not really. Uh, so, <laughs> but I will have to say that we did, uh, I did do a little trade here with a game topper with a very good friend, Chris, and I was able to get the entire Kickstarter Barrage right here in front of me. I No, I already claimed it. Ryan, you're on mute. You're muted. Yeah, I can't even hear you. Nope. You had your chance. I claimed it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, I'm, I'm grabbing the copy from Scott. And then when you're here for PGX, I'll sell it to you. So I'll get it from Scott for free and then I'll profit off of it. Ha! Wow. That's <laughs> friendship there. What? More work? All right. Time to polish this dude. Scrub, scrub, rub, rub, zub, zub. All right, so back with another episode of Polishing the Turd. And this one is a little bit different than usual, because usually this is about taking a game that was either not the best or could have been a good game, but it just became something special when an expansion or a hotfix or whatever was introduced. Well, for this one, just Patrick was asking for games from 2018 and earlier, and I just, I just don't have any. So instead, what I've done is I have two games I want to talk about that are from 2019 that I actually think are good games. However, these are games that I will never play without the expansions again because I just think they make them that much better. But it's a little bit against the theme of this segment because they weren't games that had problems. They just were games that were missing a little something. So the first one is a game from Pencil First Games called Heroes Welcome. And this is a fun Euro game where you are playing goblin merchants in a fantasy town. And every day, the heroes come back from the dungeon and they move through the town and they represent your worker and you're going to move them from shop to shop. And every time they go to a shop, the shop's going to close. In this town, you're going to buy their stuff. 
And when you take their stuff, you will give them gold, obviously, and you might sell them other things to then take their gold. So you have both their items and the gold. And you're going to take the items that they give you and you're going to break them down into raw materials to build new things. Because what you're doing with those items is you're going to then sell them to the monsters that are around and are going to take those items into the dungeon. Then the next day, the heroes are going to go back into the dungeon and kill them, come back with the stuff that you already made, and the cycle goes on and on and on. Now, this is a fun, clever little game. However, there's an expansion called the Kickbacks expansion, and it has a couple little, I'll call them quality of life improvements of a little more variable player setup and so on and so on. But the main thing that comes in this is sometimes if you build the thing that the certain bad guy wants, the certain villain wants, you get a kickback. And sometimes you know what it is, sometimes you don't know what it's going to be, and it just increases the competition for these customers tenfold. And there's just no reason to ever play Heroes Welcome without the Kickbacks expansion, and I really like it. This is a very simple small box game that just doesn't get the love I think that it should. This is a very fun, smaller scale Euro game that I really enjoy, and I play it almost every local convention. I'll take it and we'll get a game in, and I had the pleasure of playing it with the designer at KublaCon recently, and it's just, it is such an enjoyable game. It's a good game without the expansion. It's a really fun game with the expansion. Easy to learn, easy to throw in there, never play without the Kickbacks expansion. Now, the second game that I'm going to talk about is also from 2019, and this is from a lesser-known company that I love called August Games. And this is a game called Treasure Mountain. Another Euro game, this time your dwarves kind of digging through the mountain and pissing off dragons, then killing the dragons because you pissed them off and they're angry at you and all those kinds of things. The neat little conceit about this game is, well, there's two little conceits that are very cool. The first one is you're building out your own individual mine and you're buying tiles that you put in your mine and there will be regularly you're going to find gems that you're going to need to use these gems to sell to people to make money. You know, your dwarves, that's what you do, but you're going to be slowly improving your mind, getting more things in your mind. And the other conceit, which I just adore about this game, is there are five different dwarves that you have, and older dwarves have longer beards. If your dwarf has a longer beard than a dwarf that is somewhere that you want to go, you can bump them off the spot, you take the action, and that dwarf goes back to the person who started with it, thus giving them another action, but also, now you get to take that action that you want. And it's just an amazing conceit. And this is a very fun game. But the expansion to this game adds purple gems. And the purple gems are magic gems. And you're going to be able to harvest these magic gems and use them on scrolls. So you're going to have spells that will let you have a better chance to fight the dragon or might adjust something with the contracts or give you something. And... It's just this tiny little bit of extra overhead in the game that just makes it that much more competitive, that much more interesting. And like with Heroes Welcome, this is another game that I think has been criminally overlooked. It is so clever and fun, but this is one that if you're looking for kind of a lesser known game, Treasure Mountain is one that you should definitely grab and also definitely get the upgraded coins to go with it. So... There you have it, everybody. That is 
Treasure Mountain, and Heroes Welcome. They don't quite qualify because they're from 2019, not 2018. And these are games that really, I think, are very fun, strong games without the expansions. They're just better with the expansion. Anyhow, there you have it. I hope you're happy, Just Patrick and Lord High Chief Dung Merchant Scott. And I will see you guys next time. Well, that went on for quite a long time, didn't it? Almost as long as Teacher Ryan was on the throne after Burrito Night, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Guys, did you see he's got a card in Cathedral? Well, he doesn't have a card. Beatrice the board game dog has a card. Will has the cutest King James uh, King James Spaniel, Cocker Spaniel, whatever it is. She's she always looks grumpy and she's adorable and she's gonna have a card in Catharsis. Oh, that was kind of mm. cool. And you know, it's kind of funny too that his dog Beatrice is more famous than Will himself. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> hey, well, thank you so much. We always look forward to the Dung Merchant segments, finding out about polishing the turd. That we do. Hey, kids, what's the hottest craze sweeping the nation? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, waiting for you on video cassette at stores everywhere. Fantastic! Join the green teens and their fabulous video adventures, like Super Rocksteady and Mighty Bebop. It's definitely bizarro. The Case of the Killer Pizzas. Hey, sounds like a great title for a horror movie. Hot Rodding Teenagers. Hold the phone! I think we're all on the same side. The Shredder is splintered. You never let me have any fun. Cowabunga, Shredhead. Now this is really intense. And heroes in a half shell. Go Green Machine! Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're hip. Right, amigo? They're hot. Collect them all on video cassette for just $14.95 each. I say go for it. At stores everywhere from Family Home Entertainment. Guys, you didn't think I was going to get the two of you in the same room and not make you play a little game. Oh, sweet game time. <laughs> Okie dokie. What are we playing? Oh, uh, let's let's call the let's call this game I want to play a let's call it Saw because I want to play a game. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm going to describe uh, okay, I'm in the middle of a game and I want you to tell me what game I'm playing. I got 15 of them. You guys keep the score. Let's start the music. Ready? Okay. Got it. I want to make a soldier, but I need more wet clay. Oh, King Scott. Terracotta Army. Very good. Number two. This association card could let me play the Okapi Stable. This association card could let me play the Okapi Stable. Oh, Ryan, what are you doing? This is all you. Oh, I just don't know it. Fair enough. Okay, means an adventure is going to be uh, two. Uh, somebody out there is beating you guys. Number three. Oh, no. I beheaded the piss boy. Oh, oh, uh, King Scott. Guillotine. Guillotine it is, number four. All right, all right. Got to be fast here. I'll play this card. I'll flip these two sand timers and keep the red and the purple in the air. King Scott again, just by the hair. Kites, it is. Oh, guys are doing good. Number six. I got to trade a wood and a brick to build a road. Ryan. Do you prefer Catan or Settlers of Catan? I want Settlers of Catan. It's a level back, baby. Okay, Settlers of Catan it is. Number seven. Let's remove the egg from this kill deer to draw two more cards. 
Ryan again. Oh, Wingspan. The, the comeback's being mounted. Number eight. Oh, crap. I can't feed my people. Ryan. Any number of Uwe games. <laughs> One in particular that everyone thinks of. Agricola. Exactly. Oh, oh what, where are we at, guys? Three and three. Three and three. Okay, and, and so far the one that we had... Wait, that I just read number eight. Did I skip one? I did skip one. Yes. Okay, so we're at three and three. I'll go back to that other one if we need a tiebreaker. Okay, then now we're on... Uh, this will be number eight, I suppose. Now that I have red rails, I could really use some doublers. Ryan? And that is today's review game, of course. Russian Railroads. Next one up. I want to win this bid so I can upgrade my power plants to solar. Scott? Power grid. It's power grid. It's power grid. Excellent. Number 10. Two gold and one silver. Yeah, I'm buying a province. Scott, buy a hair. Uh, Dominion. Dominion. Hey, I connected New York to San Francisco. Ryan? I mean, this brings back nostalgia of when we first started, but I'm going to guess the answer is Carnegie. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. There's one that adventures. If you said ticket to ride, that's what, what, I, what I was thinking. You know what? I knew when I made that one, I was like, this probably works for like 19 games. Let's move it on. Let's cast swords to plowshares on that Shivan dragon. Ryan. Magic the gathering. You always got to cast those swords to plowshares on them dragons. <laughs> Number 13. Two biscuits on your striker. That's a point for me. Ryan again. That's class, baby. King, what's our score? It is seven to five. Oh, okay. Now here's, we're down to the last, the last two, and then I'll repeat the one from earlier. <clears throat> guys, 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 I need that poison, and then you get me get me to Berlin, and I think we can take him down. Oh, oh, oh. King. Black Orchestra. It is Black Orchestra. Oh, we got two more. All right, we ready? Just turn the crank and snap the plank and boot the marble right down the chute. Now watch it roll and hit the pole and knock oh the ball and rub it up tub, which hits the man into the pit. Ryan. This is mousetrap. Is the clue just the commercial lines from when we were kids? The trap is set. Here comes the net. Mousetrap. I guarantee it's the craziest trap you'll ever see. <laughs> so that does it. Ryan's got, is, is that a two point lead for Ryan? Eight to six. Yes. Eight to six. That'll do it. Okay. To try and save face because an adventure out there could be kicking you guys down. This association card could let me play the Okapi stable. No clue. I'm just drawing a blank on this one. Okay, I know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to change the clue entirely. Ready? Association card. Well, that doesn't help. As, asos, association action card with a strength of four or maybe five. Arc Nova. Oh. oh. Big win for Ryan. Congratulations. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> of which... All right, guys, peek behind the curtain. We got five minutes to wrap this up before the recording boots us. Okay. So, Scott, well, Ryan, you're the guest. Give me a level up. Yes. Well, my level up is the fact that um, the gaming group that we go to on Mondays now, it's called the Tipsy Meeple. We decided to set up an Extra Life. So Extra Life, uh, for those that don't know, it's a like a 24-hour game-a-thon where you're streaming yourself playing board games with a lot of people and or any just games in general, like video games, if you'd like. However, it's all for charity. So um, 
people can come in to watch you play the games. At the same time, they can also donate money to the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Rob, and who, who runs the Tipsy Meeple, talked to me about helping out. And we are going to set up an Extra Life Game-a-thon uh, coming up soon in November. Uh, more details on that later. But yeah, that's that's my level up. It's level up for the kids uh, at the children's hospitals. And so that's what I want to dedicate this to. King. Well, much to the misfortune of all the youths out there. Yeah, I did my Mike, Mike Kazimdini there. I have all my stuff set in. I am now going to be a substitute teacher. Oh, brother. Oh. <laughs> you got to tell kids to put their phones away every five yeah, minutes. Yeah, and just like, uh, wow, you you look as stupid as you are. Uh, uh, well, probably not that, but it'll be going through my head. <laughs> That's exciting. Well, you know what? Congratulations, King. That's really good. Thank you. And you, Patrick, what do you got? Well, I uh, I spent some time uh, making cards and putting mechanisms together, and I developed oh. a uh, with a pen and paper. Well, you've and been playing 25 games of uh, Russian railroads. That's what I do at work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not a lot of people go into a bank nowadays. Um, no, I, I, I started to just sort of spitballing, writing down some ideas for a game. And, and I fleshed out a very crude prototype. We're talking crayons and, and cut up pieces of paper. And uh, last week at the shop, we had the opportunity to actually give it a whirl. It was not like a, uh, you know, an official thing. It was just, uh, guys, I want to make sure that this works and isn't broken. And uh, we found a couple spots where like, okay, we should modify this. We should modify that. I don't know that it's ever going to go anywhere. I just, I had some downtime and I was like, I want to, I want to make this and See if it works. And and it did. And that was fun. And that might be the end of it, but uh, it feels cool to have created something. And it that's my level a, up. It was an impressive uh, designer. It was very cool. Thank you. Reskin of Twilight Imperium 4. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Adventures, thanks so much for joining us for this Level Back episode 103 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. If you're in the Pittsburgh area or within a few hours of it in Monroeville, that's just southeast of Pittsburgh, we have the PGX Retro Gaming Convention coming up September 30th and October 1st, 2023. This is a gaming convention that was founded on retro video games. Think your Mega Man, Legend of Zelda, Mario, that sort of thing. They set up this convention hall with pinball with arcades it's free play all day a ticket's only like 20 bucks it's cheap it's saturday and sunday their board gaming area has taken over about half of the convention mm -hmm. round castle games is going to be there they're going to have a game library provided by one of the local stores and yours truly are going to be there including teacher ryan all the way in from jersey so come say hi to us get your ticket you're going to have a blast this con i guarantee it king the last word all right out with the old, in with the new. Cheers to the future and all that we do. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.